Hello. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Going to move this. Can I move this off center a little bit? Good. Babe, how am I doing? <clears throat> All right. I'm very, very honored to share this morning. And um, sometimes we can shut off in our minds because we've heard something over and over and over. And I remember God saying to me, one time when I was sort of rolling my eyes in a moment of hearing something over and over, and he said, I'm going to take the thing that you know to reveal something that you don't yet know. And I really believe this morning is that God is going to take scriptures that we've heard a hundred times, but he wants to open them up to us and make them real again. Because God is wanting to awaken his church He's wanting to awaken this church. I can see a drowsiness in this church, in our city, that God is wanting to change. And we can become so accustomed to the way that we're doing our lives. We become so sure of our path. But God is wanting to bring a quickening that would wake us up and would change our hearts at a deep level. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this. Mike just read it. At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and restore their land. And my eyes will be open. And my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. Sometimes we can read a scripture and we think, man, there's some good stuff in there. There's some good stuff. And we, we almost treat it like, like an optional extra. If my people who are, okay, if, if my people this, yeah, great. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. But sometimes what I can do to, to get the gravity of what God is saying is flip it. Flip the passage. At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name refuse to humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then how can I hear them from heaven? How can I forgive their sins and how can I restore their land? The mystery of the kingdom is that we serve a God who is fully capable, and yet he partners with completely incapable people. Yet he still chooses to partner. You know, when we, when we read this verse, if I shut up the heavens, if no rain falls, you know, it's hard for us to grasp the gravity of it, because when, when this verse was written, when this passage was written, rain was a very real thing. Water was a necessity like it is for us today, but there were no taps. There were no obvious um, outlets of water. People had to find it through rain, through rivers, fresh water sources, through wells. That was the way they got water. If there was no well, if there was no rain, if there was no river, there was no water. Yet we go to our taps and we have a four-day shutdown in our city because of a tree falling down. And people are in crisis running to Costco getting 24 packs of water. Grab that, grab that. What are we going to do? The lights don't work. An artist by the name of Jason Upton has this very interesting, hey buddy, has this very interesting quote that he says in one of his, uh, one of his albums. It says this, and listen carefully. 
says, there was a time not long ago when the sun did shine and the sower sowed and the rain did rain and the crops did grow. It was a time before machinery, a time before certainty, a time before we bought the lie. A time before the farmer died. When we had trusting hearts and healing souls, it was a time not very long ago. There was a time when a farmer had to plant a seed and they didn't have the weather network and they didn't have rain manipulators and they didn't have massive machinery as seed across the field. They went one at a time, boom, boom. Knees, hands, simple, simple. Just the next one, just the next one. There was no certainty. It was like, God, if you don't bring the rain, this crop does not come. God, if you don't speak, I don't know what to do. The time of simple trust. And you know, sometimes we as human beings, we go through the, the classic life cycles. We start out as a young person in a family, whether you have both parents, one parent, no parents, we start out somewhere as a kid. We're starting as a child and we begin to grow up and we begin to discover what we're good at. We begin to discover who we are. It's, it's shaped by the people around us. It's shaped by our own perspectives. And as we're growing up in our lives and going through these processes, we start to get good at things. We start to discover, oh, actually, I have a knack for that. People start to refer to us. Oh, this is, oh, that's the person who can do this. Oh, this is the person who's qualified for that. This person, da, da, da. And we start to get all of these ideas in our mind of, okay, this is who I am. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is the way I am. And we get mature. And some of us men, we learn how to grow facial hair. But the crazy thing is we can grow up our lives, we can grow up, we can get mature, we can be so established in who we are, established in what we are, and all these kind of things, and yet we can stay babies in the kingdom. Babies in the kingdom. I've sat with qualified people, I'm not joking you, people that, that, have, that have thousands under them, hundreds under them. They are established in their field. They are the authority for what they do. And you sit, and you open this up, and it's like I'm talking to a child. This is not a slight. This is a sobering reality. People who have spent their lives tenaciously, ambitiously pursuing careers and money and wealth and riches, pursuing and getting knowledge, and yet illiterate, unlearned, unacquainted with the king of kings. You can speak simple biblical truth and it's like a deep mystery. They say, I've heard it said, it's like, I have no problem giving you the bottle. It's just when I have to move the mustache out of the way that it gets awkward. <laughs> but that's what it's like. Full-grown people in immature bodies. Men, women, husbands, wives. Imagine, imagine what it would be 
to be in a marriage that stayed at surface level for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. What is that? This is not a mere, I know my wife. I know my wife. You know, when the Bible says that Adam knew Eve, that word is used as sexual. It's a sexual word. It's intimacy. When God calls us to know him, it's a call to intimacy. God is calling us as a church, as a body in this city to go deeper in him. He's calling us to invest in the currency of heaven. You see, how do we know what currency we invest in? How do we know? I think a simple way for me is how I default. God is so good. Business is great. I'm excited. God, you're glorified. And then all of a sudden, turmoil comes. Someone lose a client this. Quick, get the phone. Get this. Call them. Do this. Trying to grab control. What am I defaulting to? I'm, I'm defaulting to my own strength. But what did Mike hit on last week? He hit on humility. Why? Because this passage that we're talking about, they had just built the temple of God. Imagine this. This, was the, this wasn't a low point. This was a high point. Solomon had just said this beautiful prayer. God, just come. Won't you come? This will be your dwelling place. They spent years building this beautiful temple as, a, as an act of worship to God. And the glory of God comes down. And they can't stand. They fall to their knees. It breaks all of our, all of our like modern day Christianity perspectives. There was a real cloud. People were shocked. They were on their knees on concrete and stone. It hurts. But they were there. They were so taken by the glory of God. And it's in this moment where God says to Solomon, if I do shut up the heavens... But why would God ever shut up the heavens? He's a good God. He's a gracious God. He's a loving God. Why would God ever shut up the heavens? Why would he stop me from being blessed? You ever thought about that? But you know what I realized, and I've said this before, is that when we think about God, we often default to God as grandfather. You know what a grandfather's motivation at the end of a day is really? That a good time was had by all. But God is not a grandfather. God is a father. Love is not letting us get away with everything. Love is making something of us. Parents, you love your kids. Do you just give them whatever they want whenever they want? No. You know why? Because if you do that, you're going to be making a little demon baby out of them. <laughs> Am I right? But then guess what happens? We grow up that way with God. God, give me my way. You're a demon baby. <laughs> For real. But you know what happened? We never invested in the currency of the kingdom. We are too busy investing in the currency of ourselves, in the currency of our lives, in the currency of self. And you know what? Here's how it works. It doesn't matter how great the rate of return. If you don't invest, you can't draw out. 
It doesn't matter what God is willing to give you if you just submit your life to him. It doesn't matter if you don't submit, you can't draw out. And I'm speaking strong this morning because when I was preparing this, God was speaking strong to me. Because we've got Christians who are embracing him as Lord. God, you saved me. You're the, I love you so much. You're my savior. You are the Lord. But Jesus wants to be king. We've talked about humility. Humility is a posture of saying, God, I need you. Prayer is not much different. Prayer is a posture. <laughs> Prayer says, God, I need you now. Prayer aligns our hearts to respond to God rather than react to life. If I ask you, how, how, is the, how is the depth in your relationship with God? How is that, how is the communion with God going? Simple way to find out. Temperature, check. Am I living in reaction to life or am I living in response to God? This concept of rain and, and water and the need and necessity for it, it's very different today than it was back in the day. Back in the day, in the Old Testament, they dug wells. Today, if properties land outside of our city lines, we dig wells, right? We drill wells or we dig wells. But wells in the old, in the old days, wells gave you a good enough reason to set up camp somewhere. I remember... When my family, we were living in this really small house. There was four boys, a family of six. And we like, were leaving God. God brought this miraculous piece of land into our lives. Okay? It was just outside the city limits, so we had to dig a well. And so we kind of went around the city, knocked on a few doors, found out, okay, so like, what's going on here, waterways? And everyone's like, oh, water, right. We realized that in this city that we were moving into, there was no water. There was no water. The first person that we went to said, oh yeah, no, I've got, I dug one well, it's 175 feet deep, and I've got another one, and I get one gallon a minute, and I get uh, one and a half gallons a minute, and I get two gallons a minute. So I'm drawing from three different wells into this really big holding tank. And then we just draw that down and then we let it fill up and then we, we continue in our lives. We're talking about lives that are quite limited because of the amount of water where they are. We go to our very next door neighbor. He's got three wells. He's trying to draw all this water. And yet the city told us that if you dig a well, uh, and a few people told us if you dig a well, if you want to live comfortably, you need 10 to 12 gallons a minute is what you need. Now, if you have money a reasonable amount of, amount of money, you can spend between $15 and $50 a foot to get a drilled well. So we call the truck up, say, yeah, come on, you know, come and come do your thing. So the guy pulls up and he, he pulls up nice and close to where the house is going to be positioned. And he just goes down 150, 160 feet. And he's like, yeah, no, no water. 
okay? What do you mean no water? We got about three quarters, one, one and a half gallons a minute. Okay, that's no water. That's no water. All right, let's try it again. Moves on, next spot. This is the next day. Drills another well. Yep, same thing. I'm getting just under two gallons a minute. Two gallons a minute? We're a family of six. Okay, you know what we're going to do? Let's call him Larry. Larry, we need water bad. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray that God somehow finds water on this land. Somehow that he finds water on this land. Larry goes, okay. Larry's not a Christian. Larry doesn't know God. Okay, you guys do that thing. So we go and we are praying because we're like God. We're, we're almost feeling a little bit old school here. God, if you don't bring us water, we don't have water. We go to our city friends and they're like, yeah, what? Oh yeah, run the taps. Yeah, put the shower on. Three showers are like, you. <laughs> How quickly you get self-righteous, right? <clears throat> our other neighbor tells us, do you know what I do? If you guys need an idea is I actually catch the rainwater off my roof. And then I run that through a filter system and then that becomes the water we use. We're thinking, my God, please, we don't want to catch rainwater. We want a good well. The next day, Larry says to my mom, Edwina, where, how far down does your property go? She says, well, actually, Larry, it goes kind of down here. It follows that line all the way to the road and we cut off there, boom. He goes, really? I've got a hunch. We're all like, hunch, hunch. We need a hunch. We want that hunch. Come on. What's that hunch, Larry? Larry goes, okay, I'm going to go down there and drill. We leave. Okay, great. We're a little nonchalant. We're young, but my parents are praying. They're like, God, please, please, please. We can't afford this price. It was expensive. Larry drills. We get a phone call. Edwina, we got water. Larry, what, what, how much water? We got water. Drive up there, race up. Larry, what have you got? Like, tell us, tell us what's going on. We have enough water to supply the entire city of Greenwood. What? (laughs) You know what we tapped into? A well that produced 60 to 90 gallons of water per minute. Do you know what the prophetic word is inside of that? When we dig wells in God... He gives us enough resource, not just for ourselves, but for everybody around us. We are digging wells, not just for us. We're digging wells for our church, for our city, for our communities. We're digging wells for our families. Your kids will drink from the wells that you dig. If I dropped you in the middle of the desert, I took you and you and you and you and boom, let's go in the desert. Okay, you, you dig there. Go start digging for water. You go dig there. Okay, you dig over there. Just start digging. We're going to see if we can find water. How long would you dig? How long would you dig? Hopefully, but good chance you'd give up. But if I said to you, come here, right there. I'm telling you, if you dig there, you will find water. I have dug there and I have found water. How long would you dig? 
till you found water. And I just felt in God, some of us have started digging wells and we've given up. Some of us started a well here, started a well there. Oh, it didn't produce anything. So we just, ah, forget it. Move on, move on, move on. But God tells us clearly, if we humble ourselves, if we pray, if we seek his face, those are three wells. If we, if we dig into humility, God, what does it mean to be humble? I want to be humble. That is a well. Dig that well. Because your humility will rub off on your family. If I pray, dig that well. Dig it. Dig it deep. But you know why we don't dig wells? Because life is good. Life is easy. We got good jobs. Got nice houses. Got great cars. We have, the, we have safeties on our safeties. If that fails, then this will do this. And then if that does, then we've got that. We've got our college funds in place. We've got all these good things that have maybe replaced God things. We've got a plan. But you know what? The Bible's pretty clear. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's actually the God's purposes that prevail. And I'll tell you right now, I've had three major plans in my, three major plans and it was in 2008 to 2009 when I moved here. My first major plan was that Nanaimo was a very temporary stop. Ta-da. <laughs> My second major plan was that I would never again be in small business. And my last major plan was that I'd never be in ministry. You know why? Because my plans were birthed in hurt. My plans were birthed in fear. My plans were birthed in me. You see, when we don't spend time with our maker, when we don't get to know God, like I said, that word is a word for intimacy. When we don't spend time with him, prayer is a position of spending time with him. Worship is a position of spending time with him, being in his presence, being close to his heart. When we don't do those things, when we don't spend time with our maker, we start making our own plans. And they always fail. And we might go from paycheck to paycheck. We, that's the way we might live. Some of us, we live in excess. We've got a lot of stuff. We've got all these things. So we don't have to trust God. That's cool. Some of us live paycheck to paycheck. I don't mean money. It could be money. But some of us live paycheck to paycheck in that we are just waiting for our next fill of something. If I just, if I just get that thing, that car, that house, that person, the problem is it makes us float from, from one empty promise to another instead of the only hope that matters. Prayer brings us back to the only hope that matters. Prayer positions us. If humility says, I need God, prayer says, I need God now. If humility says, I can't live without God, prayer says, God, I can't live without knowing you. Jesus shares this profound story in Luke 12. Reading out of the message, he says, Take care, 
Protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Then he told them this story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself. That's what we do. We all talk to ourselves the most. What can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. And then he said, here's what I'll do. Ready? Here comes the plan. I'll tear down this, my barns and I'll build bigger barns. Then I'll gather in all my grain and foods and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made and now you can retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Just then God showed up. You know what God said? Fool! This very night, your life will be taken from you. Fool! This very night, your life will be taken from you. And who will get your barns full of goods? And that's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. You see, prayer allows us and positions us to be filled by God so that we stop thinking about ourselves. So I want to give us a couple practical ways. Something that has been a huge success for me in my life with prayer. Because when you talk about prayer, you can find all these interesting prayers. Jesus prayed, um, Daniel prayed, Ezekiel prayed. All these different people have these prayers and people are like, oh, that's the Ezekiel prayer. Oh, that's the Ezekiel this. That's the And we get all caught up in these regiments and routines of like this and that and the other. And we've lost the genuine rawness of what prayer is. So if I could encourage you with three simple things. The first is just do something in the natural that will work in the spiritual. Set time aside to be with God every day. Set time. I don't care if it's five minutes or ten minutes. Take some of that time. If you need to wake up early or stay up late, make time for that time. And just do it. Get into the routine of allowing God to speak to you. And I can tell you right now, when you first start doing it, it's going to be like, what do I do? It's like people think, does this guy have to pee? Like, I get it. We've all gone through it. But take the time. Be religious. Set it in stone. Say, God, I'm going to put this time aside. I just want to spend some time with you. Speak to me. At first, when we start in those things, we often just start as venting sessions to God. But as the relationship begins to grow, you'll start talking less and he's going to start talking more. You know, we were in Seattle recently and we were driving around, my wife and I, we were driving around and we were checking out um, just the city. So we pull up to this light and we stop. She won't even know this story. We pull up to the light and we stop. And there's this beautifully lit up Ferrari dealership, red, yellow, blue, Ferraris all there. I'm thinking, whoa, those are nice cars. And then my wife, I didn't say that a lot. I was just thinking it. And then my wife says, cute. I'm like, cute. What the heck are you looking at? And then I realize she's looking at this little baby who's walking across the road, holding their parent's hand. You ever see those photos where the foreground's really blurry or the background's really blurry? 
That's what happens when we spend time in God's presence. It changes what's in focus. That's what happens. I see Ferrari, she says, sees baby. That's never going to change. <laughs> but in the kingdom, what we see changes. Bible tells us that in his light, we see light. The second thing we can do after we've set this time aside to be with him, this is not a formula. This is just straight up how human beings work. If you want to get fit, you set time aside and you do something fitness oriented. No one gets fit by saying, I want to get fit. It's never happened. Never will. So the second thing you can do is thank God for what he has done in your life. This is like, thankfulness is like the gateway. The Bible says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter into God's house, into God's attitudes, into God's mindset through thanksgiving. We thank him. God, I thank you that you have set me free. God, I thank you that when I was a sinner, you died for me. God, I thank you when I struggled With lying, with pornography, with making fun of people, with being super self righteous. I thank you that you didn't count it against me. When we thank God, it actually changes our heart. It changes the position of our heart. We can actually begin to see him in our lives. So much of the time we pray because we can't see him in our lives. So then we set time aside and we go and sit there and like, okay, God speak, like I'm giving you the time. How about, let's start by thanking him for what he's done. Let's position ourselves to exalt him because he is king. Let's begin to see through humility that, through our, that our lives are a product of his grace, not my goodness. The last thing is honesty. Honesty. I heard it said by someone, they said, we need to start calling our sin by its biblical name. You know, I was a few years ago, you guys are familiar with Coldplay. There's a, um, the front man of Coldplay, uh, Chris Martin, and uh, he was formerly married to Gwyneth Paltrow. Now, did I'm saying that right? Poultry? Not poultry, Paltrow. <clears throat> now, when they, when they began through the divorce process, okay, this is not a judgment. What I'm, I'm using it as an, as an example. When they started going through the divorce process, they were trying to reconcile the fact that they still, they still loved each other, but they just couldn't be together. Something along these lines. They were just not, you know what I'm getting at, right? So it was this kind of like they couldn't figure out. So you know what they did? They said, they said, we're not calling it a divorce. We're calling it a conscious uncoupling. Right? You see the humor in that. Right? But isn't that what we do in our lives? We can see greed. We can see anger. We can see lust. We can see distortion in other people's lives. But when it's us, well, God, you know that's not really what I meant. Do you know, if you want God to be honest with you, you need to be honest with him. Do you know the problem? If we're not honest with ourselves, 
It actually, it's a built-in God thing. If we're not honest with ourselves, it actually makes us blind to see God in true light. Because the way God designed is that when we see his truth, then we can walk in freedom. Some of us are living in bondage, but you know why? It's because we've turned a blind eye to our sin. And actually that has caused us to be blind so that we cannot see him. Why? Because the God of this world has blinded those that don't believe. If we don't believe we're living in sin, guess what? We're believing the lie of the enemy. You know what the devil says? This is what C.S. Lewis says. The pathway to hell is soft underfoot with no sudden turns, no milestones, no signs. You know why? Because the devil wants us to be asleep. He wants us to just be floating. Oh, that's sin. Is that sin? But it feels so good. But you know what God does? Boom! Wake up! Wake up! You're on the highway to hell. You gotta change. I want you. I want your heart. I want you. I want you. Wake up. Open your eyes. Hear what I'm saying. You see, if I can't own my sin, check this out as an analogy. If I can't own my sin and say, God, this is my sin, I need to give it up. Can you give away something that isn't yours? You can't. So if you keep pretending that you have a sin that's not yours, you're never going to give it up. Never. You know why? Because you're acting like it's not yours and God wants to set you free. But until you own it, he cannot take it from you. You cannot give it to him. It's not yours to give. It has dominion over you. We can get caught up in flowery language where God is saying, I'm after your heart. You know what? If he's after our heart, you know what that requires? A deep level of honesty. A deep level of honesty. Check this out in the message. This puts a, some serious handles on it. This is out of, out of Galatians 5. Just before it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It talks about the acts of the sinful nature. But this is like modern language so we could get an idea. And I put in a couple examples after looking up some of these words. But it says this. Repetitive neg- negative cycles. I, I want to use language that we can use to God. This is not a heavy thing. This is a thing that says, let's get into the place of being humble and honest before God, because that's prayer. Humble and honest. God doesn't shame us. He's not interested in humiliating us. We acknowledge the sin bluntly so that he can heal us dramatically. Repetitive negative cycles. Being loveless. No one cares for anyone outside of themselves. Cheap sex, lust, masturbation, pornography, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. How many of those do we take every day? Trinket gods, gods that we've made, things that don't have power, but we've given them power. Magic show religion, paranoid loneliness. Ooh, this is a big one of our generation. Paranoid loneliness. Chronic dating, seeking constant attention from the opposite sex. Cutthroat competition. 
all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, a cold heart. How many of us experienced a cold heart? Divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, wealth, glory, sexual identity, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, criticizing or making fun. You know, we've been running freedom sessions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close reading this passage here, but we've been read, running these freedom sessions. Freedom sessions is designed basically to take someone through the gospel, from my understanding, and to see them set free from their past, from the lies of the enemy, and see them liberated to walk out God in a very real, very real way going forward. And I spoke with Doug, who is facilitating this. And he said, you know, the saddest part about it, check this out. The saddest part of Freedom Sessions is the struggle to reintegrate into regular connect groups because of the lack of authenticity and vulnerability. Think about that. People who have learned how to be authentic and real struggling to integrate into a connect group because it's not raw and real. Guys, here's the reality. If those connect groups, if our connect groups are not raw and real, you know why? Because this ain't raw and real. This is not raw and real. And God wants to bring raw and real into our hearts. Because we've been playing games too long. We haven't been calling sin by its real name. We haven't been surrendering our lives to God. We haven't been prioritizing time with him. And it's not a heavy in that, do this, do this, do this. No. What I'm saying is if we were willing just to carve out some moments in a day, God is desperate to meet his people and he will meet you. He always meets us. But he doesn't answer the flaky prayers. He doesn't answer the fake ones. He wants our hearts. He wants our honesty. David, gouge out their eyes, bash their heads. God says, thank you. I've seen your heart. I'm, great. I'm, I'm rich in mercy. And some of us, oh, bless his heart. You hate him. Say it to God. Let him carve that thing out of us. I'm going to close. Is that okay? Am I ranting? Okay. Sorry. I'm going to close with this passage. It's Matthew 6. I was freaked out about time. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm hurrying here. It says this. Ready? It's, it's, our, it's our handbook to prayer. It says, be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them. Treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage, acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it, quietly and unobtrusively. That is the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. And when you come before God, here it is, don't turn it into a theatrical pr production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. 
The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows you better than what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best. As, below, as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're a blaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. I just feel like God is wanting to awaken us. I don't want to overwhelcome my stay here, Mike, if you're feeling something. But I just feel like if there's something in here that's speaking to you, I just want you to stand. We don't have to, it doesn't have to be like a, oh, this was, oh, I'm going to say it out loud. I want you to stand. I want you to stand as an act of honesty before God. It amazes me how easily I can slip into role play with God. But you know what the telltale sign is? Is when my heart does not get any softer. When I can spend time with him, but actually my heart does not get softer. But I just felt like God is wanting to soften hearts this morning. When we read that passage, if we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek his face, will turn from our wicked ways. We don't focus on changing our wicked ways so that we can get in front of them. It's not an earning thing. This is not about that. We turn from our wicked ways as a response. It's a response to being with him. You see, Christianity is not hard, but it feels hard when we're living in sin. It feels hard when we're not intimate with the Father. But when we're intimate with the Father, Christianity is the most natural experience you could ever have. Thank you for standing. You can. Thank you, church. Amazing, mate. Have this on. It's amazing time. He said, "If we could have, um, just thinking a few things through this time. Um, incredible message, Wes. Love your passion." If you could have the worship team for it, I think God is doing things in our hearts for sure, and I don't want to rush it. If you, if you need to fit your kids, we've got a bit more time before that. Uh, we'll just continue worshiping a bit. And um, See, one of the things we need to understand about this, I'm just trying to look at some scriptures here. That's an amazing message for sure, and... Um, I mean, all of us have to make adjustments, and we need to hear these messages for sure. But the, one of the traps of the enemy is he's going to try and make us do it in our own strength. And as soon as we leave this place and say, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and we don't, then we get discouraged. And God has spoken very clearly, and he wants us to do what he said. And Wes laid that out.
in an incredible way. I was just thinking of this passage in Ephesians. There's two passions in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. And then I just want to look at Revelation chapter 2, what it says about that same church. And something happened in Paul while he was writing this letter. And he's focusing on great theology. He's focusing on grace. He's focusing on church, church government and all of these amazing things and identity in Christ and, and all of these amazing things. But then he picks up in Ephesians chapter 3 this theme of love. Something in him said, I think it was a, a warning to this church. Because we know 30 years later or so, Jesus himself visits that church. And he commends him for diff- amazing things. But he says, You've have this against you you've forsaken your first love and he says repent and do the things you did at last and I want to share these two scriptures because one of the reasons that we struggle is because we fall out of love with God he's no longer our first love when we got saved you know you'd do anything and for those few years and then You might have been in a revival after that and that love is rekindled and you can't wait to pray. You can't wait to witness. You can't wait to reach everybody else. But then then our eyes wander. And Paul says this. I think it's in to Timothy. Some people have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It's not an event wandering from the faith. Here's the road we're on. It's just a little wonder. We just wander away. We get our eyes fixed on other things and, and our love, our affections go for stuff and all of these other things. And because, it, if it's, not, because it's not an event, it's hard to identify when it actually happened. You were just in love with Jesus you got into wonder, sort of wandering away, pursuing things that God didn't have for you and so on. Or they're becoming more important in your lives. And when God speaks of idols in the, in the New Testament, it's anything that gets bigger than God in our life is an idol. And we wander after these things. And God, I believe through this in a direct way, but I believe in a loving way, says, listen, We need to repent and do the things we did at last. We need to come back to that first love relationship. We need to dig those wells in His presence. We need to come before Him in honesty. God knows us. The beautiful thing about the Bible is the majority of people that God used powerfully had also sinned pretty powerfully. And He extends His grace to them. He's not afraid of your sin. It's not bigger than Him. Jesus has paid the price for that sin. And I want to read these these three little scriptures 
And it's a prayer that Paul prays in the middle of the end of Ephesians 3. He picks up this thing and he says, you know, maybe these guys are going to get so involved in religion, so involved in Ephesus was a wealthy city in business and all of these things that they might wander away. So this is what he prays for them. 30 years or 40 years before Revelation chapter 2. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. It's 2 Corinthians 3, 10, 14 to the end, if we could get that up there. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And this is what he says. I pray that out of your glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your innermost being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And there's the key. And I pray that you might be rooted and established in love and being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, high and deep is the love of, the, of Christ. And to know this, this love uh, this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be full to the full measure of the fullness of God. And then he says, Now to him is able to do imaginably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. When the storms come, We spoke of trees. The ones that stand, the ones that don't wander when temptation comes are the ones that are rooted and established. Deep roots, deep wells. And you might be feeling condemnation now. You might be feeling those things. And God says, I simply want you to repent and do the things you did at first. And we're going to pray that because Paul's final words to this church in this letter, he writes this. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all of you who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. That's them then. This church that loved Lord with an undying love. But they wondered and we wonder and I wonder. God is just calling us back. We can do all the religious things. We can do the right things, but without love, we can do nothing. And he says this to the same church. These are the words to him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your, your perseverance, amazing qualities. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and you have tested those to claim to your apostles but are not and have found them false. What an amazing, theologically correct church this was that could rightly divine the word of truth. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name's sake and not grown weary. If I got a letter like that, I'd think, wow, this is amazing. Thank you, God. But you see, God's looking at the heart and He says, looks at the heart and He says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. 
Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. That's what God's saying. Remember where you were and simply repent. God is slow to anger and abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, but separates them as far as the east is from the west and chooses to remember them no more. But it's an honesty, love the thing of ownership. All of us are tempted in many ways. God just wants us to give us the ability and strength not to succumb to temptation. Temptation is not a sin. Otherwise, Jesus was a sinner because he was tempted in every way. It's walking into that. And Romans 5, I love that chapter. But I think it's verse 6. It says, And God's love is poured into our hearts by His Spirit. His love is not achieved. It is only received. If we could earn His love, it would be pretty cheap love in comparison to who I am and who God is. And I just feel right now where you're right right there. We're just going to worship just for a little while. Please, if you need your kids and you would like to bring them back in here, but if you can stay just for a moment. I'm going to pray right now that as we repent, And as we've stood and as we've said, God, I need a change. And we ask God for us to begin to do the things we did when we first got saved. That first love relationship. I believe He's going to pour out His love into your heart by your Spirit. And I believe that's one of the wells that God wants to drink. Uh, dig in your time with Him. Maybe not speaking as much to Him as you feel you should, but receiving. Allow the Holy Spirit to pour His love into your heart. It's not manufactured, it's received. Because when we love somebody, we want to please them. Even when we don't please them, we want to. Isn't that true? We not always do it right. And God could say of of Jesse in Acts 16, when Paul is speaking, he says, I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And then he says this, he will do everything I want him to do. Did David do everything God wanted to do? Like you know, absolutely not. But he repented. And David himself wrote Psalm 51 and Psalm 103 where he says he separates my sin and he chooses to remember, it's gone, it's finished. He chooses to forget it. So with integrity, he can write of David, he did everything I wanted him to do, even though we knew he didn't. That gives us hope. But he repented. He knew what he was doing. And if we could just allow the Spirit of God just to rain down upon us in this week, Just make time. Go for a walk. Say, God, I can't do this. I'm far away from you. I'm lukewarm. Whatever it is, I've sinned, Lord God. And just allow the presence of God to captivate you afresh 
and begin to transform you from the inside out. Religion is about outward transformation and it's a terrible thing to live up to when you have to have this facade of religiosity. But when God transforms you from the inside out, it changes us and it just simply starts with that. Repent and do the things you did at last. So can we do that as we just worship the Lord for a moment? If you could, you can sit, you can stand, but let's just sing to the Lord and have a conversation with God even while they're singing. If you you don't want to sing, just have that conversation. And thank you, Wes, that was outstanding.